Hello, welcome to the Weathervane Podcast. I'm Brian McTeer from Weathervane Music here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you don't know about Weathervane Music, we produce the Shaking Through documentary video series. In it, we explore the importance of creative expression through the lens of people making music in the studio. And Weathervane's a nonprofit. So for our supporting members, we make the multi-tracks and mix stems from Shaking Through available to download, remix, and share back with the community. Uh, we were one of the first groups of people doing anything like this all the way back in 2009. So 10 years later, there's literally about 60 or 70 episodes and multi-track sets. They're all awesome. They're all well-recorded. The bands are great. It's quite a treasure trove of materials uh, for people who want to learn to mix, learn to record, or who want to make creative remixes. So that's us. Okay, so now I'm here with Carl Bonner and his friend and collaborator, Maeve Gorman, of the band Semblance. Carl's produced records for Semblance, and together they did a really excellent remix of the song Every Animal. Uh, We recorded that one for the band Half Wave in 2018 for a really great episode of Shaking Through. I'd highly recommend you go check out that episode. It's at weathervanemusic.org slash shakingthrough slash halfwave. And as for Carl and Maeve's remix, well, you can hear it right on the webpage for this podcast, which is at weathervanemusic.org slash podcast. So Carl is a producer, remixer, and drummer out of Lancaster, PA. He's played uh, with his band Cheerleader, uh, mostly between 2012 and 2015. He's also either worked with, performed with, toured with, rubbed elbows with a whole mess of people like St. Lucia, Joy Wave, Little Mix, Tokyo Police Club... The Wombats, gosh, I see They Might Be Giants, The Hold Steady, Cold War Kids, Gaslight Anthem. Go check out Carl's website, carlbonner.com. It's C-A-R-L-B-A-H-N-E-R.com. There's a lot there to to dive into, but this is going to be a great conversation. Now, one more thing. Today, I'm interviewing Carl, but going forward... Carl will be seeking out and interviewing other remix artists for the Weathervane podcast. So thank you in advance, Carl. And for everybody listening, you know, I really look forward to you getting to know this incredible remixer and producer. Okay, without further ado, here's my conversation with Carl and Maeve in May 2019. Is Maeve there too? Correct. Hey, Maeve, how you doing? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm, I appreciate you guys doing this, and and uh, you know, appreciate the work you guys have done already. It's been awesome. I, I, it's funny because what's so striking to me about the mix is that it easily sounds like the band themselves could have come up with that exact approach. Like, I don't know, it doesn't sound like you've taken a vocal and pasted it over something completely different. It sounds like she sang to that recording. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I mean, was, seriously, no, it really is. There's, there's, there's no, um, and I, I mean, I think someone could just as easily hear the way their music is. Someone could just as easily hear our recording 
and think it was a remix and hear your recording and think it was the original, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing. Well, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by, you know, how you guys work together and what your approach was on the song. I guess the song's called Every Animal. We recorded it for Half Wave. I'm sure there's an endless variety of how people approach these things, you know, but, you know, like, where did you guys start? So, Maeve and I have done a couple remixes together, and I've done a bunch before on my own, and I think the way that we started it was pretty similar to how I normally start my own, I guess. Which I think makes sense because Maeve and I have been producing so much stuff together over the past like two years. So I think our our approach has kind of melded into a, a singularity <laughs> to to some degree. Uh-huh. Um, but I think you know generally the way that we approach something like this is I'll take the original stems that I downloaded off of the Shaking Through site and just kind of dug through them to see what little nuggets of gold there are. I've always had you know a lot of fun trying to dig through parts that may have been not necessarily overlooked, but just didn't play a very large role in the the main song itself, like within the mix. Like little right. little things that maybe just happened once really quietly in the bridge. And I'm just like, oh no, that 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 deserves like a lot more attention. Yeah. Like almost like a yeah. like a like I'm sure there are some TV shows you've watched where there's like a a one-time character that just com- comes in for one episode and you're like, wow, I really wish there was like a spinoff based on just that person. <laughs> just, just so we could learn that person's yeah, story. Like yeah. I, I, want, yeah. I want that person to become a recurring character instead of just being like in for the one episode and gone. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think musically speaking, there are a lot of elements within these, you know, more, especially more modern productions where, you know, they were like a cool little texture thing that just made the vibe right in the moment, but didn't necessarily... You know, it, it didn't command a lot of attention within the mix. So, you know, we we tried to dig through and find as many of those little things that we could and then just kind of augment them, shine a light on them, and then, you know, reframe the story to focus on those characters, if that makes yeah. sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's like almost like you're saying, like, uh, yeah, you, you know, you take the, the little one-offs and you see what it's like to build something sort of recurring around those. Yeah, and I think it kind of reflects also how I start my own demos too, because like I'll go in and I'll find one sample or one sound with like a synth or something and make one melody loop and then just copy and paste it 90 times and then build (laughs) a whole structure like around one loop and like a whole song around that. And it's kind of, we approach remixing the same way we like break a song down to its skeleton of what we think like this we could build a semblance song around this and then build from there yeah right it's kind of like i don't know if we did it for this song in particular but i feel like we we usually do so i wouldn't be surprised but we tend to you know start with like a loop like she was saying and try to build our like sonic palette Mm -hmm. i don't that sounds super pretentious and i don't mean it to be but i guess it is kind of pretentious how we yeah (laughs) how yeah Yeah. we think of it but yeah just trying to like you know if we can get these i think in this one it's like five measure or ten measure phrase it's some yeah yeah, some odd odd measure phrase so we would just basically loop that and try to get as many cool sounds as we possibly can that all hypothetically work together um, you know, usually even starting with like the last chorus or like the the outro, like the trying to figure out what our emotional and energy target is going to be, 
Yeah. And then we know that throughout the rest of the song, we can take any combination of those elements and we know that they're going to kind of keep us in the in the same world we've created. So, uh. yeah, so so it ends up being like way more things than we ever end up actually using, but just so we have right. those options. I mean, to, to have 40 or 50 layers of percussion instruments is kind of a that's like a normal Tuesday. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not that's not a not unusual. So I feel like this song definitely ended up being at, at that point where there's just crap loads of percussion oh, yeah. layers and noises and and things that you know all are playing relatively simple parts. So it doesn't necessarily sound like a whole bunch of stuff going on, but like the texture changes constantly because the combinations of things are kind of evolving. Right. It's kind of funny. I don't know um, if you guys got to see the episode we did around that, but you know. They uh, they never you know write a song as a group and then get in the studio and record what they you know or get in the stu- uh, rehearsal space and play it and then get in the studio and record it. They never do that. They literally do you know what what you were talking about, Maeve. They sort of get in there, they make a loop, they like zip that loop out a bunch, and then they kind of basically add and subtract constantly until they get to a point where it's you know where they can say it's all done. And for us, it was really interesting because, you know, the drummer was new to the band. Um, so he'd never recorded with them in any way. And so it was really wild because, like, he was essentially playing drums and keyboards at the same time. Because, you know, he had that weird mesh, uh, electronic mesh drum thing. And he could program different parts of the head to be, like, keyboard sounds and to be all this kind of stuff. And it was kind of funny what it was like to then take that apart. The way that they constructed it was by everything all at once. But then once we took it apart, we did the same thing. We got to just sort of rediscover what was important and, yeah, inevitably push push forward the things that they thought were small and maybe in some cases reduce or do away with the things that they thought that, that were going to be big, you know? It's kind of crazy. Um, it's funny because I bet for them, the way you guys go about doing it is the way they would do everything. Is the way that Nandi and and Aiden and and the rest of the you know band would would do everything. So it's weird that we did not that with them, you know. And and you when you guys did that, you did a bunch of the drum takes as separate passes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think just because when you have somebody like juggling all of these things, it, even for me, I just couldn't pay attention. I was like, ah, oh, wait, I, I can't fo- figure out what I'm supposed to focus on, you know? So we broke it down. Um, we, we broke down to like a kick and a snare sound at first, you know? Um, and, and he just played the very simple kick snare beat, went from beginning to end. And then we just sort of like, you know, deconstructed what, he had done in a, like a million things at once into like the most important things. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, that's, I don't know. That's I feel I feel bad. I'm, I'm talking so much, but um, but that's like pretty much exactly how we record live drums for for everything. I think at least for for semblance and for a lot of the other other projects that I'm, I'm working with. But like, I feel like it it gives you this really interesting, this like hyper realistic kind of energy to it, where you can you can have this extra control by having the separated parts, but yet right. you can still have the organic human, you know, like the, the air moving differently, you know, even if it's, even if you end up 
like, like we do, like a lot of times, like we want things to be pretty on the grid and we can still kind of get the air and like the, the weird slight inaccuracies of the human like drummer's touch but with the kind of precision that we need to make the style of music work. So yeah, so it's really interesting. Like for me as a drummer, the first couple of times that I had to try to, to mentally separate the elements into like the different channels, so to speak, it was a, right. I don't know if I can say mind fuck, but you can, you can mute me if you need to, um, <laughs> me out. but, um, but yeah, it was just a total mind fuck trying to get that, to, to get it to do, what we wanted it to do, you know? And now when yeah. we, when we write these parts out, like a lot of times we'll have everything programmed before we even try to record live drums. And then it's just basically like a to-do list of the different parts and the different notes. So that way we go into it and I can just listen to the, listen to just the kick part and right. play that, listen to just the snare drum, whatever, whatever it ends up being. Um, yeah. And it gives you so much control to just try different things and you're, you're never stuck with, well, well, those are the rhythm tracks we've got. So hopefully it works. So you, you, what you're saying is you, you're you're working when by the time you're doing live drums, you're already sort of working from a, a like a completely deconstructed palette. Yeah, and we're I'd say we usually the live drums are one of the last things that we'll add. Wow, that's funny. I mean, I, I honestly, if you watch enough years of shaking through, you can probably hear me saying like twenty times at least, like. You can't do that. <laughs> There's no way you can ever do that. You can't do it. I think no, the, the drumming coming in like last almost started out because with Semblance, our original drummer used to live like two hours away from me and three hours away from the studio. So like he couldn't come with me every day to the studio, but we needed to right. make the songs anyway. So we like programmed everything in. And then at the end of all the songs being like recorded and produced, we had him come for like one day and just, we sat down and recorded everything all at once and then put it in. So it was kind of just how we built ourselves as a yeah. like duo. Was Semblance sort of already intending to sort of be in like a quasi like somewhere between rock and somewhere between electronic to begin with anyway always that was always yeah. the goal yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i think yeah it started out definitely more on the rock side than the newer stuff yeah definitely it was definitely a lot more um teenager angst driven before and, and a lot more rock and guitar you were you were what, 17 when we started i was 16 when 16, we started yeah, yeah. Wow. How old are you now, Maeve? I'm 18 now. Wow. You're so young. Holy smokes. Makes me feel super old. <laughs> yeah, I know. How old are you, Carl? 34. Yeah, it's interesting. The whole reason I say that you can never do that is um, it, it has more to do with the sort of like necessity then at that point to like lock, to go in and edit those drums back to a grid or something like that. You know, um, like in other words, when people lay them in last... There, it, it just sort of implies a little more work that you guys are probably used to, um, you know. Yeah, yes, but also, I mean, the very first thing we do is program the drums. So even though we're adding the live drums last, we're just kind of like replacing or augmenting things that are already there. So like that rhythmic foundation is there from from the start. It's just kind of like a backwards way instead of, you know, the, the more traditional like rock way of recording live drums and then, you know, augmenting them with samples to kind of like reinforce them a little bit. We're just kind of doing the opposite. We're starting with the electronics and then we're just kind of reinforcing the, you know, the, the air and the, the ambience from the live drums. But, but rhythmically everything's already like 
solid from the get-go. So we don't have to worry about, you know, trying to uh, trying to make drums work with a guitarist that played just with, you know, their their headphones on. Oh, I see. So it's like a one-to-one replacement of the drum of the the programmed drums become turn into real drums. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I'd say like most of the time with remixes anyway, Carl starts with the drums just because you know he's a drummer. Yeah. And he just can't help it. He he just does that, and then so then by the time I come over like the next day or whatever to work on it. Then we start building guitars and synths because I, I like to do a lot of that stuff, yeah, like a lot. <laughs> so he starts right, with the right. drums and does gets that to like a really solid place for me to sit there and build just like a crap ton of layers. Yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, these are these are big sessions. You'd, yeah. you'd be ter- Most people would be terrified. I'm I'm terrified of my own sessions sometimes. Yeah, no, totally. I I can definitely identify with that. Um, do you guys, so, okay, so let's, let's zip, zip back a little bit and, and talk about, um, you know, how your guys' collaboration kind of came to be. So, you know, it, it, I take it, it started, Carl, with you recording Semblance? Well, not really. So I used to go to this music school and Carl was my teacher at said music school. He was my drum teacher mostly, but also like every once in a while would be like, if I came in and wanted to learn like a song on bass or guitar or something, like he would be more than willing to teach it to me. Nice. And then he left the school and moved to Lancaster and we just kind of didn't really see each other for a little while too because he was like busy. And then I reached out because I had just started this band semblance and was starting to get more into music in general because I had kind of decided like I don't want to go to college I want to do music but like I should kind of know what I'm doing if that's my plan so I reached out to Carl because I always knew that he was super into like production work because at the music school he had a studio in his room he had the sickest room um (laughs) and so I reached out to him to teach me like production stuff and then it kind of slowly turned into like hey i have a band uh can we like work on some of that stuff and then we did and then here we are that's awesome yeah then now it's like we've been working together at least once a week usually twice a week sometimes three times a week for the past what two years now yeah yeah it's wow yeah it's crazy (laughs) that's cool and she hasn't she hasn't gotten sick of me yet or if she has she hasn't She's been very good at hiding it, so that's good. Yeah, do you, Carl, do you have that type of relationship with other, like I know you're, for context, right, there's my, my partner Bill Robertson and I started Weathervane Music together back in 2009, and you've sort of been the like, almost the lifelong mentor of his son Max, yeah. teaching him drums, teaching him about the, this kind of stuff. Is this something you do a lot? Not not really. I, I feel like actually Maeve and Max were kind of the, the oddballs. Nice. Uh, oh, cool. no, and, and Mike. Yeah, I was just So there's, so there's <laughs> three. Um, but, but it really comes down to, you know, how, how above and beyond they care. You know, I always want to try to help out, you know, and it, give, give advice and, you know, give, give mixed notes or production comments or just show them how to make logic not hate them, you know, whatever kind of thing yeah. it is. But I feel like those, those three, Maeve, Max, and Mike, which is a, an M thing, yeah, exactly. Which is kind of, I don't know if that's a... Sounds like a new band. Yeah. Well, everything that has to do with semblance is C. Carl, yeah. Chase, uh, Crybaby, Connor. 
yeah, there's a whole there's there's a lot of alliteration in this band somehow. Um in my life, I guess. But, but we digress. But we but yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um but no, but I think like they just cared more than than most people, you know, or at least they cared about the things that I was able to actually help them with. Nice. That's very cool. I what's what's funny is, you know, you you put those not just those skills into young people's sort of palettes, but that sense of confidence. And that's sort of life-changing, you know? I mean, Maeve, you'll never know what it would be like to not have these skills when you're older, you know, like or, or, or that kind of thing, or not have this confidence. I mean, the music sounds amazing. Sounds so so confident. I'm, I'm shocked to hear that you're only, you know, 18. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I think it has a lot to do with Carl's mentorship and um, the music school, too, that I went to. Because, like, when I started there, I was, like, a painfully shy human being from just, like, so many reasons. But we would play all these games that were supposed to help with stage presence and just generally, like, letting go in front of people so that you don't worry so much when you're on stage. And I would just refuse. And I wouldn't sing. My mom signed me up. You had to sign up with two instruments so that you would learn something else. And my mom signed me up for singing to be my second instrument. And I had a private lesson with one of the girls that taught singing. And I just refused. I wouldn't do it at all. And then when I would get on stage, I would just stand there and wait for it to be over and then come off. But then, like, I'd come out on this other side wanting to be a performer and just do this for a living. Like, I never would have thought that would have been a thing when I went into this. Yeah. It's funny. I can definitely even identify with that myself. When I was, when I was a kid, I went to this high school. Um, it's sort of strange, but really great boarding school. Um, it's where I met Bill, my, my partner, Bill Robertson. But I knew when I was in ninth grade that I was literally going to make a stab at making a life in music. I absolutely knew it. But when it came to the activities that the school offered, I was like, no fucking way. There's yeah. no way I'm doing that. You know, I'm not joining jazz band. I'm not going to sing in the hill tones. You know, there's no way. <laughs> and not that I have like any problem with people who do that, but it wasn't a one-to-one -one equation. Like you even think about it, right? If you went back to that school that you went to, you'd still feel weird singing there, you know? So... I don't know. At least I know I would. I know if, if I went back to my high school and looking back on it, I was like, okay, I could get involved in some of this stuff. I'd, I'd probably revert right back to, nah, this isn't my thing. Kind of like those habits you had when you visit your parents and that, uh -huh. you know, like I yeah. don't, like I don't ever drink soda just generally. I just don't drink soda. But whenever I go to my parents' house for a holiday, the first thing that I do is go downstairs and get a can of Coke. And it's this weird habitual mental thing. And, and I feel like, you know, going back to, to high school and, you know, looking at those options, I feel like it would be even worse. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Because you're a whole other person, you know, that whose jumping off point was maybe all those things that made you uncomfortable in high school to begin with. Yeah. You though, know? though I think, Brian, I think you, you and I have quite a, quite a longer time jump back to high school than... <laughs> yeah, I, and me, I have a much longer one than even you do, Carl. <laughs> so, um, so Maeve, you're a drummer. 
Uh, I am not as much as I am an instrumentalist of other things, but yes. <laughs> what is what is your main main instrument? A uh, guitar is my main instrument. It's cool. What kind of guitar do you have? Um, he, uh, I have a, a whole bunch. Um, my my main my main one, my main baby is my '64 Fender Mustang. Oh shit! Um, <laughs> and then I have a '65 Mustang too, but somebody threw a third pickup in there, so it has three pickups and it's wired, kind of like a Strat, but still like it. It still does in phase and out of phase. I haven't really figured that one out yet. Huh? And I have a a couple of uh made in Mexico Stratocasters. I have a really weird telecaster that is a jim root john 5 hybrid so it's like a fender telecaster with two emgs in it and a maple neck yeah wow and then i have an sg and then some acoustics yeah wow man that's a lot i like how she's she doesn't want to tell you what kind of acoustics they are because they're (laughs) they're just just equally uh impressive and uh jealousy inducing oh wow i there well one that i have is the eric clapton signature martin guitar and then i have just like i don't even know what the model is honestly just like a regular martin dreadnought it's not it's really nothing special it was like 500 dollars. yeah i got it for myself a couple years ago and then the first guitar i ever bought myself which was my little baby martin tiny guy yeah how tiny is it like one of the triple o ones or is it what is it like uh no it's like it's like a Basically dreadnought guitar, but a really like three quarters sized body, like really small. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That is, uh, you know, jealousy inducing. How do you handle that, Carl? <laughs> I, just, I just cry myself to sleep every night. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. She, she yeah. brings a lot of this stuff whenever we're recording. So, you know, and she has, she'll bring her Kemper uh, rack unit over to, to track stuff. And, you know, I, I survive. That's funny. Oh, so you you have one of those those uh, those Kemper things, the the like digital. Yes, that is my child. Huh. Interesting. You don't, do you have any any regular amps, or or you you kind of do it all? Uh, I do. That? I well, I actually sold my my old amp head that I used to have, which was just a Mar- a Marshall uh, DHL. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It like it was just kind of the like a regular. It wasn't anything special. Good quality. Yeah. I had that for a few years. Because that, that was my amp with my 4 by 12 for the longest time. That was my rig with all my pedals and everything. Yeah. And I got really fed up with that. And then Kempers came along and I was like, please. So I just save up and got that. Yeah. 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 It's pretty great because it's the one that's powered. So she can just bring that and a cab and then you don't need an, any external like power amp or anything. And we can have uh, totally different presets for different songs. When we play live, huh. different sections in the different songs could be totally different amp effects, right. you know, totally different uh, simulations. And then when we use it in the studio, there's just a zillion options that we have. And there's definitely like maybe five or six that we go to most of the time. Yeah. Like, I think we, we use that for the bass on the Halfway Free Mix. We pretty uh, much used it for the bass on everything since I got the Kemper. Yeah. And it's like my, oh, my wow. $150 Squire bass yeah. um, going uh-huh. to the Kemper and it just sounds like a, like a mammoth is impaling you. It's the, it's, yeah. it's great. It's great. Oh, wow. I've never used one of those. I, um, I've certainly seen them. I, I just have never used one. It's funny. I have, um, when I was younger, before I had Pro Tools, I had this, um, this 
Well, I started with like a, a, a one inch 16 track recorder. You know, then the early um, hard disk recorders came out and I had this Roland uh, hard disk recorder and it was really good. And I, and I really learned a lot with it. But the thing was, you know, you had to like dive into menus hit a button and then hit these other two buttons and then do all this stuff. Your mind had to sort of go down this abstract lane of things that were really just visualized on this tiny, tiny little screen. And so when I stopped using that, I was really kind of appreciative of the fact that it gave me this sort of mental abstraction um, to have to think that way. And everything after that came with such... um, so much more simplicity. So I have a really hard time personally with Strymon effects, right? Strymon effects really do like, oh, you got to push the button. You got that knob, you've got to push that and click it twice. And then you've got to do this and this and this and this. And I just weirdly, I'm like, man, I can't do that. So like the, the Kemper thing, my friend Paul Hammond has one. He's, a, he's the person that I, that I master with or one of the people that I master with. And, you know, one day he sat me down. He's like, oh, it's great. Check this out. I can blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I've, you've really lost me. You've lost me like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. I can't follow it, you know? I mean, I think there's something good about that in a way. I mean, I think I enjoy stuff like that or, you know, sometimes getting, even with some plugins like Echo Boy, um, I don't like to spend the time to learn what every single knob does. Because yeah. I enjoy that discovery process every time, and I like going into it, not searching for an exact specific tone. It's like I'm trying, I want to be surprised, and I want to discover something cool that I haven't used before. And I feel right. like having, you know, whether it's plugins or whether it's something like the Kemper, like you have that ability to be pleasantly surprised, like those little happy accidents of finding just cool tones that you never would have, or I never would have tried to dial in intentionally. Right. For something like this, when everything that we're doing is every song is its own little like environment or its own little sonic world, then I'm very much okay with not using the same exact sound every time. If anything, I I think we kind of consciously try to push out as far as we can and, and try to find those weird little sound nuggets in, in the same way that we do when we're discovering sounds in a remix, bringing that full what circle. You, what do you think becomes the unifying factor then for like what makes it a semblance song? Or, you know what I mean? Like, what becomes the unifying... Because I, I often find that, you know, all those options... And I mean, in your guys' hands, it's great. But all those options in a lot of people's hands are much more likely to result in sort of just all-over-the-place-ness, you know? Something that has always been kind of important to me slash semblance in general is, like, diversity in sound. Because... When the band started, Connor and I, like, we were hanging out together all the time and everything, writing and practicing. And we were watching these videos that were like, how to write every Chainsmokers song or every The Weeknd song. And they were so funny, but because they were so painfully accurate. And we were just like, wow, we don't want there to be a how to write every semblance song. So we kind of wanted it to be very different and we wanted it to reflect that our music taste is like literally anything like we listen to everything and we wanted it to reflect the chaos that we wanted to like get out of ourselves or whatever and kind of make it sound nice that's kind of what we always try to go Mm -hmm. with is like trying to make chaos 
sound nice. So just getting a whole bunch of gross sounds or things that shouldn't go together. Like we sampled Jeff Goldblum laughing for the sample for the beginning of our really gross intro in Broken Crown, him laughing yeah. in the airplane in Jurassic Park. Huh. Chop, you know, chopped up and scrambled and distorted and, and weird. But I, so I agree with Maeve. And I think the way that I was trying to picture it in my head was kind of like, imagine like a Venn diagram between the kind of sounds that Maeve's ears are drawn to. Then the other circle is the kind of sounds that my ears are drawn to. And then the other third circle is that chaos. And I feel like whatever we can find that's in the middle of that Venn diagram, that's kind of what ends up coming out of semblance. Hmm. So sometimes chaos can be just, you know, like the song that I was mixing before we started this, this call. One of the tracks is called Bass Garbage. And then there's one called Bass Garbage 2 and then Flute Garbage. And all of the sounds are actually originally from a flute sample that I found on Splice. And then we just chopped it up, pitch shifted it, ran it through a whole bunch of things. And it turns into this like disgusting, growly, guttural, you know, massive synthesizer sound. It's off the mixtape, right? So we have this wrapper on it. And like the whole song, every time I listen to it anyway, it gives me this like, okay, like, Lincoln Park kind of rap rock super it sounds nothing like Lincoln Park but it's just because of that like it sounds like really grungy guitar like start stop but it's flute not guitar like it sounds like yeah it sounds like some kind of like metalcore guitar but it's actually a flute I wanted to go for like what would it what would it sound like if you were being digested by a cyclops or something (laughs) like this (laughs) kind of naturally yeah (laughs) you know normal pop stuff yeah um yeah yeah. And that's kind of the other thing is like I'm naturally drawn to all of this almost gross sounding music or like not traditionally like, you know, nice pop music or whatever, like rock and anything, anything different. Yeah. And then also like pop and all of that like synthy and technical stuff and trying to somehow make all of those things that shouldn't work together force them to work together to make it happen. So obviously nobody really wants to pin, you know, what you guys are down to a specific thing. But, you know, if you had to, Carl, as, and as a producer, you know, if you had to, if you had to, to know like, okay, I'm crossing a line. If I do this thing, it's no longer semblance. You know, what would that be? Um, I would say, uh, minimalism (laughs) i guess to some degree i mean i feel like even our our simple things are still pretty lush and interesting and i feel like if we didn't have if i'm answering from a a production standpoint if the productions were very simple which is not a bad thing i don't mean that to sound like a like it has any negative connotation to it right if it was like a like simple you know, like trap music or some some country music or even a lot of pop that's out, a lot of, especially a lot of like EDM that's out. If it sounded like that, kind of like texturally, I feel like it wouldn't feel right to me. Hmm. If I wasn't forcing myself, or if the music wasn't forcing me to do a whole lot of automation <laughs> within the song, then I kind of know that it's not uh, it's not evolving and breathing the way that we feel like it should. Hmm. Are there required components? I mean, is it Maeve's voice? Is it Maeve's voice that makes it a semblance song? Like it's not really a semblance song until Maeve's voice is in it? That's kind of what I always felt like makes a band sound is the lead singer's voice. I am a massive fan of the 1975, and that is one of the best examples of a band that is sonically and instrumentally 
all over the place. But like it still always sounds like the 1975 because it still always has Maddie Healy's like whiny Manchester accent singing over top of it. It mm-hmm. always still sounds like the 1975. And there's so many other bands that I like that are the same way. And they always manage to still make it work because it's still always the singer or whoever, you know, whatever it is still always happening. Because like there's other bands that I like, like Polyphia, where they don't have a singer. But their song mm. always sounds like Polyphia because of the way the riffs are written and the way the song sounds, you yeah. know? Yeah. Even, you know, just me thinking about music now versus music 10, 15 years ago, I feel like the expectation of the listener is very different than the expectation of the listener was back then. And I feel sure. like there are, it's much more common for artists to stretch, yeah, you know, and, and, and cross styles. So I feel like the expectation of them to be, I love ACDC, don't get me wrong, but like, if you heard ACDC suddenly doing like a really, you know, spaced out reggae song, you'd be like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's less necessary now for, you know, you to hit play on the new single by such and such band and not be surprised. You know, I feel like it's, if anything, people want to be surprised a little bit. And if the challenge, I think, for, for Mabe as a songwriter and for myself as a producer is to find ways to surprise people surprise ourselves but yet still not be so drastically off course that you know we're putting out like an acapella bluegrass album or something you know um so that that's i think that's the challenge that keeps us pushing forward and keeps us trying new things because we want to see how far we can get i I don't know this is okay stupid analogy i hope it works but i feel like i I played i played baseball when i was in like elementary school and middle school and i was a first baseman because i had I have really long arms and really long legs. And I feel like musically, we're trying to see how far away can we stretch our glove while still being able to touch first base. Oh, I love that. So I I love baseball. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to see how, how weird we can push ourselves, but yet still having, retaining a sense of, you know, listenability, that, that pop influence that we both have. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I always tell people like I grew up on equal parts, you know, Aphex Twin and Backstreet Boys. So trying huh. to utilize those influences in a, in a way that actually feels natural, even though it shouldn't. I think that's yeah. that's the ultimate goal. Thanks again, Carl and Maeve. Thanks for diving into the Weathervane Shaking Through catalog and bringing your own take on our recording of Every Animal by Half Wave. To anyone out there, you can do the same thing. It's very cheap to become a Remix Access member of Weathervane Music. And by being a member, you not only get access to all these multi-tracks, and believe me, there are a ton, and they're really well recorded, and the bands are really good. But besides that, you're also supporting this really great nonprofit community, we're all about learning, creative expression, and, and just having fun. Okay, thank you guys. Hope to have you back soon. <laughs>